joy. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. The Old Testament lesson for Misericordias Domini, the third Sunday of Easter, is written in the 34th chapter of the prophet Ezekiel, beginning at the 11th verse. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out of the peoples and I will gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land there. They shall lie down in good pasture of grazing land, and on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, and declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is written in the second chapter of St. Peter's first epistle, beginning at the 21st verse. For, this, for, to, for, to, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he suffered, he did not threaten, he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, and, and that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Alleluia, the Lord was known to them in the breaking of bread, alleluia, I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, alleluia. Holy Gospel is written in the 10th chapter of St. John, beginning at the 11th verse. 
Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own are known by me. As the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will heed my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is the gospel of the Lord. believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made whom for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. flow my 
my ransomed soul he leadeth. Did pastures grow with food celestial leadeth? Perverse and foolish of thy strait, Yet in thy love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, thy home rejoicing brought me. In death's dark veil I feared no will, thy Lord side beside me I to guide me a tale of two shepherds. One was a civic shepherd, and the other was an ecclesiastical shepherd. But in the ancient world, both civic leaders and ecclesiastical leaders viewed themselves as shepherds. And the outcome between these two shepherds was very different. You see, Rome, Rome was dissolving. Western Empire was no, labor, no longer able to defend its borders, and large numbers of people from the steppes of Central Asia were coming across the Rhine, the Danube. And one of, these, one of these groups was a group called the Vandals, from which we get the word vandalism. They were a Germanic group led by a king by the name of Gezeric. And the Vandals weren't happy because the Romans didn't want to give rights even to their own middle class and working class people. They certainly didn't want to give rights to vandals. And the problem with arrogance is you begin to believe your own press. And the vandals weren't going to put up with it. They had women and children to feed. They had old people to take care of. They needed land. And they needed to be accommodated. And they had a large army, 80,000 men. So they went down to Rome and they uh, set up, began setting up siege engines. And the guy who was the emperor, he'd only been the emperor for three months, 
guy by the name of Petronius, Maximus, he had almost no forces loyal to him, and he just left. He just took what, what kind of men he had and just went out the back gate. His own men took a rock and hit him in the head with the rock, and then the mob around him stoned him to death. So went the last emperor of Rome in the West, Petronius Maximus. Not a very good shepherd. And then for two weeks, the Vandals sacked Rome. First time in a thousand years the walls of Rome had been violated. And the, every bit of gold the Vandals could find, they took. And Lord have mercy if you were a woman in that city for those two weeks. It was not good. Then the, then the Vandals eventually pulled off and they took with them almost everything they could find of value from the city, stripped it bare. They even took the empress's widow, Valentinian's widow, Judicia, and her two daughters with them back up to northern Italy where they had their main city or encampment. And St. Augustine did what he could. He sold a lot of plate from the church and, and um, was able to buy the freedom of many of the prisoners who had been sold into slavery. And then the next year, the Vandals crossed from what we call Spain into North Africa, again with their 80,000, and they came east. And one area of Rome, one, one area of Roman control after another fell to the Vandal horde. And before you knew it, before Augustine knew it, they were laying siege to Hippo, his capital, where his bishopric was based. And he was in the basilica praying one day, and he could hear the siege engines pounding against the walls. Hear the roar of the defenders versus the roar of the attackers as they would cheer for something. And the soldiers came to him and said, we can get you out through the tunnels. There's not, it's not too late. You can survive this. We really, we want to get you out of here, Augustine, our beloved bishop. And he said to the men, the soldiers, he said, I'm a long-winded old man and ill of health. Has made me anxious and I will not desert you. So he stayed to the bitter end. He saw, according to Posidius, his, his autobiographer, his biographer, he saw the city sacked, the villas raised, the owners scattered as refugees, the churches de de deprived of their pastors and bishops, holy virgins dishonored, dispersed, tortured to death, some just murdered outright. He saw it all. And finally, the vandals were pounding on the great bronze doors of the cathedral. And again, some of the guardsmen said, we can take you out. We know, we know a tunnel that they don't know about yet. We can get you out. And Augustine turned to the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, and he told them he appreciated their concern, but he said, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How can I, your shepherd, do less? No one knows what happened. But St. Augustine died that day. He died in the sack. Because he would not lay, he would not refuse to lay down his life for the sheep. It's interesting, isn't it, that in the ancient world, this word shepherd is synonymous with pastor. In fact, it wasn't just for religious leaders. Egypt's pharaohs considered themselves shepherds, even though they didn't like shepherds in the real world. They considered themselves shepherds. If you've ever seen a pharaoh, he has crossed over his chest the shepherd's crook, usually painted 
in stripes of white and blue, and over his other chest, side of his chest, the flail, meaning he's the shepherd of Mitzrayim of Egypt, and he's also the one who can inflict punishment upon both people that live there and, and, and Egypt's enemies. The Babylonian kings, the Assyrian kings in Mesopotamia, they also viewed themselves as shepherds, as, as was the Egyptian god Amun, was seen as a strong drover who guards his cattle. Maybe that's the reason why God struck down not only the firstborn of Egypt, but also the firstborn of the cattle, to show that Amun was not as, not as strong as they thought he was. Yes. And the true God considers himself to be a shepherd of Israel who goes before his flock, Psalm 68, 7. And, and in the 23rd Psalm that we just sang in hymnic form, we know that the Lord guides Israel. He leads it to good food and good water, 23.2. He protects Israel, 23.4. He carries Israel's young, 40, verse 11 of Isaiah. And embedded in this idea of God being our true shepherd is the metaphor that God alone is the one who can truly shelter his people. Yes, he is our good shepherd. Thus, according to today's Old, Les Old Testament lesson, Ezekiel 34, 23 to 24, we read, God's literally speaking in the first person. He says, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David will feed them. He will be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, shall be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. In other words, God is going to become our shepherd. He is going to be our goyel of blood, our redeemer of blood, just as this parish is called redeemer. So Jesus is our redeemer, and he is also an heir of David. So that after Ezekiel wrote these words, several hundred years, by the way, after David's death, the Israelites came under the conviction that their Messiah, when he appeared, would be a descendant of David would guard his, his father's flocks just as the true David, the first David, guarded his father's flocks before he was raised up to be a king of Israel. Thus, from this Ezekiel passage, and others like it, the Messiah must be descended from David. That's the reason why on Palm Sunday we hear the crowds, and what do they do? You know, they call out to David. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's why that happens. Thus, thus we see that God is, through the Father's Son, Jesus Christ, is our true shepherd. Which is exactly what Jesus does for us when he says in our gospel lesson today from Misericordius Domine, the third Sunday of Easter, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Additionally, the word for good here is also interesting when it's used in, in good shepherd, because it's a different word than is commonly used. It's the word agathon, which means it, it, it's not merely, Jesus is not merely a good person. Like, hey, that's a good guy over there. All right, yeah, yeah, I know your neighbor is a good person. It's not like that. It means that Jesus literally is the model person. He epitomizes what humanity should and could have been without sin. 
Like when you buy a house, you go to the model home. You look at the model home, and they say, okay, I'm going to build you a house just like this house. This is the model. This is the premise upon which we are operating. Jesus is the model shepherd. That's what he is. <laughs> That's ironic, isn't it? Don't you Missouri Synod Lutherans find that ironic? Jesus is the model shepherd. Why is it so ironic, Pastor? Well, I say it's ironic because our LCMS churches spend so much time trying to discern who is the best pastor for them. What would be the best candidate to fit into their milieu, to fit into their situation in life? There's it's in Leben, as the Germans say. You know, what would be the best pastor, right, for us? But maybe that's the wrong question, do you think? Maybe we should ask a different question. Maybe we should say, what is the, what is the pastor God wants for us? Have we ever even thought of that? For 25 years, I, I mean, I've worked with so many calling churches, and I just get so concerned about this issue. Everybody just wants what they want. What does God want? What does Jesus Christ who died on the cross? What, I mean, I would just, I mean, I just assert this for the sake of argument. Might, we might want to ask and find out what he wants. It is his church. Just saying. Because, you know, think about Jesus. I mean, literally, he is the ideal shepherd, right? He's the model shepherd. He ticks all the boxes, right? I mean, you can't pull a better set and pith than, 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 than Jesus. And yet, what did his parish do to him? What did they do? They crucified him. They had the best shepherd possible, and they put him to death. Maybe we don't really know what a good shepherd is. Maybe we're really confused on this issue. And I think that's the reason why Jesus says in our gospel lesson today, I am the good shepherd. Just want to clarify that for y'all. I, Jesus, am the good shepherd. This is what a good shepherd is. It's not this other stuff that you think is so important. It's me, Jesus. He defines what's good shepherd. And how, and how does he prove his goodness? Because Jesus says, a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, it's interesting that this idiom, to lay down life, is very, very rare in, in, in regular secular Greek. It's almost never used. And, it, and it's thought by... Uh, some biblical scholars like the great John scholar Raymond Brown at Georgetown that, that this usage is probably reflects a rabbinic tradition of the idea in Hebrew, mesor nafso, to hand one's life over. In other words, volitionally, voluntarily, right? And Brown mentions a very interesting story. There's an interesting story in the, in the, uh, the Jewish apocalyptic book, Fourth Ezra, from the second century on Odomine, where the, the Hebrew rabbis write, they say, do not desert us as a shepherd does when he leaves his flock in the power of harmful wolves. Do not desert us as a shepherd does who leaves his flock in the power of harmful wolves. And that's what hirelings do. False shepherds. 
when things get tough, they're out. Not Jesus. No, Jesus goes towards the danger. Jesus faces it down and dies if necessary because he loves you. He loves you. When he sees the wolf coming, he doesn't run away. He faces the wolves of sin, death, and the devil. When they came upon him and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, he faced down those metaphorical wolves and said, if you seek me, let these men go. And they did. Because he's the good shepherd, and he knows his sheep. And his sheep are known by him to borrow and sort of butcher Leonard Skinnerd. Jesus is saying to the devil, these are my sheep there. And I'm a God who cares. And this just might be the end of you. Yes, this is what sets Jesus, our good shepherd, apart from every other false shepherd. Because false shepherds, as I've said, are only in it for themselves. Like vampires, they, they derive their life and their livelihood from the lives of the sheep. And, and like parasites... They live off their host parish. And once the host is threatened, they abandon their parish like rats from a ship. I knew a man once that when I vicared for a man, I was 85 years old. I'd been in the parish for 53 years. You know what he said to me one day? He was like some kind of like Buddha. He'd say the most, you know, these things that he would never explain them. And he said to me, he said, when you're in a parish as long as I have, you live with your mistakes. I know what he means. I absolutely understand that. Because I've made so many in my 24 years since ordination. No. Jesus willingly faces the wolf pack of sin, death, and the devil. And he faces it on the cross. When he dies on the cross, a cross with our names on it. Because every one of us, myself included, we all have a cross with our name on it. And Jesus got on that cross. He took our place. And he let sin, death, and the devil throw themselves upon him and sink their fangs into him and, and put him to death. And in his death, they died. In his death, they were defeated so that now we can have his life. Now, you may ask, do, do I possess the life that Jesus won for me on the cross? Am I part of that life? Well, Jesus said, there's a very easy test. In our gospel lesson, in John 10, verse 16, Jesus says, Of his sheep, they hear my voice. And the word hear, 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 akuo, means in Greek, to, to listen to something in order to do it. Right? Now, what I'm not saying is that we hear and make a decision whereby we as sinners decide to become saints. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not how, how akuo in the Greek works. No, it means rather that when we hear, akuo here, that by hearing God's word, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, that then we receive grace through that word we hear, and we receive the call to repentance, and the response to salvation is the gift of ethical grace and repentance, right? That is the marks of real salvation, is that we want to be more ethical. We want to be more truthful. We want to be more merciful to each other. We want to forgive each other. 
That's the, that's, that's the fruits of the Spirit. If we have heard him, if we have heard his voice. And that's why St. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Yes, we, we are given love for Christ because he first loved us. And he gave himself for us. And we receive that gift through his word, and through his sacraments as through means. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's a blessing to have all of you here. I'm really glad you're here. Um, we have, um, you know, just please note the balloon news for this week. Got a, um, there's, that has reported the, the activities. The main thing happening in our parish is tonight we have uh, a mother and some kids coming that are part of Family Promise. 
Right now, it's just one family, but that can change. So uh, right now, one family. And we still have some uh, sign-up slots that are open for the second week. So please, if you can find it in your heart to help, we really could use the manpower assistance on that. Um, <clears throat> and then we have several prayer requests today. I just have an announcement to make. Um, Ellie Hoferkamp, some of y'all remember Pastor Hoferkamp, who, who, who oversaw, helped oversee the vacancy before uh, I arrived. Uh, he's a great friend of the parish and many, known, many to all of you, known to many of you. His wife uh, died uh, on Friday morning. He called me last, yesterday morning just to let me know, and uh, I believe the funeral is tomorrow near Seymour, but we pray for Pastor Hoferkamp as he mourns the death of a really an exceptional uh, Christian lady. Uh, so we'll keep, keep them in our prayers. Also, um, Stephen Ulrich asked that we pray for his friend Heather, who um, has uh, ovarian cancer and is now in hospice. Also, Aaron Bird asked that we pray for Mallory, her friend Mallory, for continued healing after a mastectomy. Uh, and, um, and also, um, uh, the uh, Ellis family asked that we pray for Miss Page, uh, as she will uh, go to a test tomorrow, and she is seeking an expedited appointment to MD Anderson. So we, uh, we pray that uh, as she goes through the process, that the, the doctors will um, you know, be uh, effective for, for, for you, Paige, okay? And uh, our hearts are with you and your families. And then also Bonnie Smith asks that we pray for um, Diane, uh, Diane, a friend of hers, who is having a surgery to remove uh, an eye caused by an infection in the cornea. And then Bonnie also asked, Bonnie Smith also asked that we pray for her, her classmate, uh, Judy, who is having uh, four bypasses on Friday. And then Alan Blackwell, or Peanut, as some of y'all know him, is asked that we pray for uh, June, uh, his, uh, one of his relatives, who is in hospital with heart issues. And then as some of y'all know, um, I, uh, I did a funeral for 27-year-old Weston Slade, who was one of my catechumens about 10 years ago, and um, he uh, died uh, very unexpectedly, um, and so we pray for the Slade family as well as they mourn uh, his loss. So be with you. And then also my brother-in-law, Gary uh, Hendricks, also uh, has some very challenging cancer issues, and, and my wife and I would, would covet your prayers for that as well. Lord be with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and the godly unity of all Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for those who in faith, piety, and the fear of God overhear their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and all teachers, people, and for all the people of God, let us pray to the Lord. For our nation, all our people, for our president and Congress, our governor and legislature, our judges and magistrates, and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, for the homebound and the infirm, especially we pray this day for For Doris and Ed, for Joyce and Mary, for Mary Alice and Mark, Eddie and Norma, 
for Kim and Suzette, Dean and Terry, for Jackie and Tony, for Diane and Hunter, Chris and Gail, for Marion and Clayton, Meredith and James, for George and Larry Dean, for Earl and Suzette, for Bob and Mallory, Mark and Hank, Sandy and Megan, Isaac and Haley and Jay, for Tracy and Michelle, Carl and Karen, Jimmy and Tina, Ainsley and Richard, for Kevin and Ron, Mary Ellen and Brian, for Natalie and Thelma, Jesse and Doug, for Fallon and Colby, Jamie and Audra, for Francis uh, and Hugh, for Waylon and, and Ryan. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for the families of our parish who mourn the death of loved ones, especially for the Slade family, the Tatum and Rogers family, the Teckle family, the Gross and Florianzig and Parsons families, the Freeman family, the Nielsen family, the Osbacher and Schwartz families, the Gallardi family, the Whitfield family, the Gershon Sauger family, the Johnston and Williams family, the Bird family, and the Ulrich and Gibbons family. And we also pray for those in service to our country's armed forces, especially Riley and Paul Turner and Paul Hayden and Mike. And we pray for all of our university students, including Colleen and Minnie, Noah and Harrison, John, Katie, Dylan, Aiden, Audrey, Dylan, Sarah, Jason, and Jacob. And we pray, Heavenly Father, also for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, consolation of our right, devout and holy hope, and in the communion of Christ, holy church. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray especially this day for, um, for Judy and for Diane. And for, um, and for Mallory. Oh Lord God, look down from heaven. Behold, visit and relieve thy servants, Mallory and Diane and Judy, for whom we pray. Look upon them with the eyes of thy mercy and give them confidence your confidence, confidence and sure comfort in thee. Defend them from the dangers of the enemy and keep them in perpetual safety and peace. Through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. We also pray for, um, we pray for um, Paige and June, who are, um, and also for Heather, that are all facing various, um, various challenges as well, physically. Almighty and everlasting God, the eternal salvation of them that believe, hear our prayers on behalf of June and Paige and Heather, for whom we offer up our supplications. We implore thy aid and mercy for all of them, that they would be restored to health, so that they may render thanks to thee and thy church through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And we pray also for the Hofer Camp family, as they mourn the death of Ellie Hoferkamp. Have compassion, O Lord, upon Harold Hoferkamp and all other members of his family who mourn the death of his beloved wife, Ellie. We pray that you would give unto them such earthly solace as thou seekest to be best for them and bring them to a full knowledge of thy love and wipe away all their tears for the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.